0: You know, I, as I'm singing that song, I'm thinking, God, I am so glad that you're powerful and you don't condemn me for not being powerful. Actually, God is wanting us to accept the reality that we're weak. Paul tells us that when we're weak, then he is strong. But if we are strong in our view and perspective, if it's all about us, if it's up to us and we have to be strong, then we don't look to him. The reality is we are weak, we are needy, and as Revelation says, we are poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus comes along, he gives us everything above and beyond what we need, and he gives it freely. And so we get to sing and say, you are powerful, we're not, we praise you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. You get the honor and the glory. Like John the Baptist, I must decrease so he can increase. So let's uh, bow our knee bow our heads, and pray to this wonderful Savior. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, when we pray on earth, we mean in our lives, my life. God, we are still on earth, it's broken. We still feel our brokenness. Thank you for these moments where we get to remember what Jesus has done for us, what you have done through us, for us. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. God, as we're gonna see this morning how you helped and healed and ultimately saved two blind men, God, we need you to open our eyes to see. Otherwise, we continue to wander in darkness, And reach for things that do not satisfy. God, it is Jesus alone that deserves the preeminence of everything. So let it start with our hearts. And well within us the love for you that you deserve. And encourage our hearts this morning to remember what you have done for us. And continue to do for us and will always do for your people. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. and. Our kids, time for Summit Kids. You guys, run, I see, they're like waiting. They're at the finish line, like waiting for the. Pew. And we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It is good to see everyone. I realize this is one of these times, and you can feel it in the air where it's like taking a, our, our muscles are relaxing from the, uh, uh, all of the uh, stress and the effort that was the last two months, and particularly last month. It's a busy time, there's travel, there's all types of good things there, we're reflecting on Jesus coming into the world, and God is good still. But this is always an interesting time because the, uh, the new year always feels very somber, it feels like a good time to reflect on newness, newness of life, we finished up Titus, and we've, we've let you know that we actually want to do a series in 1 Corinthians to talk about uh, the body and gifts and what spiritual gifts are all about. And as we approach that next series, we have a few weeks here in between that where we wanted to just talk about some encounters with Jesus. We just wanted to go to the Gospels. We wanted to pick certain uh, passages of people who saw Jesus face-to-face and encountered him, if not just for the sole purpose of encouraging us and in all of these situations, God is trying to teach us something. Matthew chapter 20, I'm gonna turn there with you. I have a word that I'm gonna put up on the screen. It's a word I guarantee you don't see coming on a day like today. It's the word <laughs> resolution. You know, I actually, I was telling this to the, uh, the worship team before the service I had proposed to, with this sermon, I'm not going to make it about New Year's resolution. Spent all week studying, and when I got to the end to try to culminate what I had gathered and, and figured out as I was trying to describe these blind men, I was using, this word came to mind. They, they, had, they seemed to have this extreme resolve. And I said, oh no. All right, Lord, you want it to be about resolution, so that's what we're going to talk about. I want to give you definitions, a basic definition of this word resolution. There's two types of definitions here. The first one is this, a firm decision to do or to not do something. A firm decision to do or to not do something, but I would like to, I would actually like to cross that out and say that's for the birds, That's tend to how we treat resolutions. The new year's come and we treat resolution like this. I'm making a decision and the decision itself is what's important. But the decision has no power in it. I like the second definition. The quality of being determined or resolute. The quality, the type of person, the the person that has something within them that is determined and not simply just determining to make a decision. We get this right. Come on. There's the, this is even a meme. It's the whole joke as a new year resolution comes along and you keep it for what? Like 2 days. I'm going to I'm going to eat better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to wake up earlier, I'm going to go to bed earlier. You know, I'm going to do my devote well, all of these decisions that we know are good, we make them. And we were determined to make the decision. But we all realize that what we need in the decision making is to actually fit that second definition of resolution. It's to to have the, I, I need to be the type of person that has the resolve within me to actually go forward with the thing that I know that I need. Today we're gonna see in Matthew 20 that Jesus heals two blind men. Matthew 20 verses 29 through 24 let's read it And as they went out of Jericho a great crowd followed him Jesus and behold there was two blind men sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was passing by they cried out Lord have mercy on us son of David the crowd rebuked them telling them to be silent but they cried out all the more Lord have mercy on us son of David And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. You see, these two blind men give us their example of what true resolution looks like, what... what, what the second definition looks like in the life of someone. The quality of being determined or resolute. And in this story, what are they determined to do? They are determined to get Jesus' attention and to get his help. It's a pretty good resolution. And you can see it. You can see it not only in, in their passion and their energy, but their persistence. And we want to look at this story and see what true resolution looks like. So I want to read something to you. It's going to be on the screen. So as we're going into a a story, a narrative, we're looking into the scripture, we're not really in like a book of Titus that has very clear exhortations do this. We're just reading about what Jesus did and there is something to learn from it but we have to we kind of have to open our eyes to see what God is trying to do how much deeper he wants us to go than just what we read. So, we are all in desperate need of healing of our spiritual blindness. And God gives physical examples to help us understand the spiritual. We just did this with the Lord's Supper. Jesus gives us the juice, the fruit of the vine, and the bread to help us understand the spiritual importance. And what mankind has always done, if we're not careful, is we make it about the physical symbol and we put all our attention on the physical. Or the thing that's supposed to, to make us think of what's deeper below the surface. So we use these things God gives us to help us understand the real thing which is his blood and his body. And we come to situations in the scripture where Jesus is using examples all the time. Comes to two blind men and he heals them. Is this just a story where we celebrate a miracle that Jesus did in the physical world? Or is there something a little bit deeper we can learn? What is it that Jesus may have wanted the crowds that are following him to learn from the example of these blind men? And all the time, what do we see? people having face-to-face encounters with Jesus and you see very similar qualities about the people that are meeting Jesus who in the end get the ultimate healing that they need. And Jesus is doing these things and letting them happen so we can pay attention. So as we dive in and we look at these two blind men, they're gonna show us what true resolution involves. First thing is this. First thing is this. A clear awareness of your condition a clear awareness of your condition it says this as they went out of jericho who is let me give you some context jesus is walking his disciples are with him and crowds are following him and it says they're walking out of jericho you go to mark you go to luke you're going to see confliction there some are saying he's walking into Jericho. Some of them are saying they're walking out. There's no need to be confused by that. More than likely, there's actually two Jerichos, and they're giving us a different perspective of where he's walking into and out of. Ultimately, where's Jesus headed to? If you look at chapter 21, the triumphal entry, when he's gonna come in on the donkey, and the people are gonna say, Hosanna, son of David. But in the meantime, they're, they're traveling. They're moving about from one place to another, And it says this, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, and behold, it's an interesting word that really is Matthew wanting us to pay attention, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. If you read Mark and Luke's account, you actually hear not of two blind men, you hear of one. Bartimaeus is named, and then the other one just says, a blind man. So this is conflicting as well. Are we to say that Matthew's wrong and the others are right or the others are wrong? or other? No, no. There was one blind man among them that seems to be the prominent one that the disciples obviously knew. They were able to name him Bartimaeus, son of. But in Matthew's account, Matthew's giving a very clear description. Here's what was happening. There seemed to be multiple blind men in the situation, two particularly that Jesus is going to talk with. Two blind men sitting by the roadside. You read the other parallels that are actually referred to as sitting by the roadside begging or blind beggars. When it comes to true resolution, it involves a clear awareness of your condition. Were these blind men very much aware of the fact they were blind? What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. One, you can't see. There's implications if you read the other parallel passages that they were they were once able to see and then had become blind. And so now they even know, they even have a contrast of what it is to see and no longer be able to see. And in the culture that they're in, there is no help for them. There's no governmental programs. There's no assistance. There's no disability. There's nothing like that. They are disabled. They're, they're blind. They're unable to work. They're unable to see so they're unable to provide for either themselves or their family. And then their families are also unable to take care of them to an extent where they find themselves to the point where they can do nothing but sit along the roadside and beg. Put yourself in their shoes. What's that feel like? What would that be like day in and day out? Not only being, not being able to see, but being able to hear the conversations and the jolly footsteps of the people before you going to and fro from their business and you're just or about their business and you're there trying to beg because that's what you can do to try to get the money that you need to buy for a little bit of food to sustain yourself, to keep yourself going so you can continue to beg and you've developed the reputation of being the person that everyone wants to avoid. I would say based off the fact they're sitting by the roadside begging is an indicator that they were very much aware of their problematic condition. Now, I I want us to go deeper though. The Bible talks about blindness a lot and blindness is used to talk about the spiritual blindness that everyone walks in. The darkness that the world Walks in. John actually describes Jesus as the light of men. He's the light of men because he is the one who's able to shine light and help people see and so he's the light of men so we can see truth and see clearly. It begins with understanding your condition. Actually, I want to read you some verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, we're told this by Paul. He says this in chapter four. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Blindness, spiritual blindness is a greater problem than physical blindness. There's another situation where a man is born blind and the people ask him, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Or which one of his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. But this man is blind so that you might see the works of God performed. There was a reason he was blind so that God could reveal himself to be the Messiah, Jesus could, by healing him which the Messiah was talked about he would ultimately do, but also so we could learn a lesson. It's impossible to be blind and not be aware of that condition. It is possible because it is 100% true that everyone is spiritually blind and not be aware of that condition. And if we have no awareness of the condition we're in, we will have no resolution to get out of it. Let me read you some other verses. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he's trying to teach Nicodemus about light. Jesus said, and this is the judgment in John 3 19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. The light has come. But men love darkness rather than light. And they do not come to the light lest their work should be exposed. A condition that God is trying to wake us up to to help mankind see this state you're in is not good and you must have your eyes open to that it's not good so you actually want to do something about it now I've given you blind men to help you see that is horrible no one wants to be physically blind Who in the right mind is okay with that? No, it is a condition that no one doubts is not good and they'd want to get out of. And so now we're able to bring the physical world to the spiritual to help us understand what Jesus is trying to say on a deeper level. And he's going to use these men and blindness to help us with it. They were very much aware of their condition. And when it comes to being a person, one of the greatest things that could happen to us, now this is going to sound weird. This is gonna sound backwards. This is gonna sound like a, like who would want this? Anything that God brings in your life that brings pain, misery, makes you disenfranchised with this life that makes you feel a sense of I need help is a good thing because it's opening your eyes to the reality of the joy that you need, that what you need is not found in this life, in this world, and it's causing you to reach for him. It's why God is not evil to let us feel pain because without it, we won't run to him. You've heard of these conditions where these children have no pain receptors? Sounds like a beautiful thing, right? Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is fake bliss. It's cheap bliss. And ignorance will not help. If anything, it will keep you from operating in a safe way. And these children lose their fingers, their toes, They get hurt, they break bones all the time because they're unable to feel the gift of pain. You know, Jesus has an upside-down kingdom, so we come to a situation, blind beggar on the side of the road, like, man, that is the worst-case scenario. I don't want to be that person. But by the end of the story, you'll find out that because of their condition and their awareness of it, it leads them to be the person every single one of us should want to be. And God used... The blindness to help them see that. True resolution involves a clear awareness of your condition. Second thing is this true resolution involves a discontentment with the way things are. You hear that? A discontentment with the way things are. If we look at Matthew 20, it says here Behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. We know they were begging. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. Well, Jasper, how do you know that they were discontent with the way things are? Why? It's because when they had an opportunity to change their condition, they took it. They immediately acted upon it. And in this case, it sounds to me like they were not satisfied with sitting by the road and begging. And they heard that Jesus was passing by and they immediately cried out. Proverbs one twenty two is interesting. It says this, oh so simple, how long will you love being simple? How long will you hate knowledge? And the idea is that wisdom is crying in the streets. God's trying to get our attentions and open our eyes and make us no longer ignorant, but aware of the things we need to be aware to, to actually feel the right things we need to feel as it pertains to our sin and our lostness and our darkness and our blindness. But we love being ignorant, do we not? So much so that when someone's ruining a state of blissful ignorance, we try to stop them before they're on their way. My wife wants to talk about serious things at night and when I hear it coming, I try to stop her because I don't want to talk about things that we need to talk about. Anybody Anybody relate to what I'm about to say? I'm seeing some smiles here. It's time and you got to find time somewhere to talk about serious matters, matters of schedule, matters of things that need to get done, things like that. And I hear it coming, but I'm in a state of peace. I'm not thinking about those things. I've spent all day thinking about things and dealing with things that are stressful or hard decision-making. I want to be ignorant in the moment and enjoy my state of peace. Please do not interrupt me with necessary things at this moment. Anybody relate to this? A life spent like that is a life that will step off the cliff of life physically into a spiritual death eternally because they spent their whole life avoiding the hard truth. When God brings in a condition that makes us discontent with the way things are, the way life is, we are ripe and we are ready for the better good thing. Our hope is not found in this world. And if you have an experience in life that's making you very much discontent with life as you know it, it may not be a bad thing. Now I'm not talking about an attitude of complaining. I'm talking about a spirit that hasn't settled for cheap distractions. You hear me? What were the cheap distractions for these people? Is begging for money, having money in their hands going to solve their ultimate problem of blindness? Absolutely not. They could have settled for it. They could have said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I am happy enough in the situation I'm in. I'm used to it. It's my routine. I'm getting money every single day. I'm going to stay in this. Because to do, try to do anything about it, one, it's impossible. The situation not going to change. But it's just going to be more work than I'm ready to put into it could be the mindset. True resolution involves a clear awareness of the condition and a discontentment with the way things are. The Bible tells us to love the world, to be friends of the world is to be an enemy of God. To be a Christian, it, it, it should be hard to live on planet Earth. Right? It, it, we should like actually rejoice that Jesus is coming back and if we hear of Jesus coming back, we're like, no, not yet because there's like 50 billion things on my list I want to enjoy Jesus coming back means you get a new heaven and a new earth that's 10 times better than anything that you can enjoy on this earth. This earth is passing away along with its pleasures. Everything is going to be burnt up. And for those who are his, those who hear the gospel call that's free and are cured of their physical, their spiritual blindness are promised an inheritance of an eternal heaven and earth that is free perfect it's like having a matchbox car of a corvette and then someone's trying to give you the actual real corvette and you're like oh 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 i want this in that moment you're going to be discontent with the real thing and go back to the cheap substitute solution you see i'm tracking with me I love, I love what God is showing us through these blind men. They're, they're, they're totally discontent with sitting on the road begging. I, I, want, I want genuine help. They immediately hear Jesus is passing by. And they cry out, which tells us by their action something they believed about Jesus, did it not? Which brings us to the third thing about true resolution. It involves an undeterred pursuit of the solution. An undeterred Pursuit of the solution. Verse 31. They screamed, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They call him Lord. Then they then they scream for mercy. They're not necessarily screaming for heal my blindness. They're screaming for mercy, which tells me something they believe about themselves. And then they scream, Something to Jesus, a title, Son of David. Do you know what that means? Do you know who the Son of David is? It's it's the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. The Son of David that would sit on the throne of David. We're talking about the Messiah here. which, Which, by the way, the religious leaders crucified Jesus for claiming that he was that Messiah. Yet these blind men simply have heard. They haven't been able to see anything. Their faith has been totally devoid of sight. And yet they hear of Jesus, Lord have, Lord have mercy on us, I'm not it, I need help, I'm broken, Son of David, Savior, Messiah, Lord Jesus, beautiful, but look what happens, the crowd rebuked them, I can't believe it. I mean, you imagine being there, right? And and let's be honest, we can imagine even being part of the crowd rebuking the blind beggars who we try to avoid every day who are just the, the crazy people we just don't have time for. Jesus is passing by and he's on business and this man's too busy to deal with your begging. They rebuked them, telling them to be silent but look what happened. They cried out all the more, Lord have mercy on us, son of David. I mean, you can't read this and not see the heart of God trying to speak directly to you, saying like, man, this is what I, I want you to have this heart, this resolution about me. And again, my mind can't help but think about the deterrent that's all around me every single day living on planet earth from Jesus. Deterrents all around. The God of this world has blinded people's eyes from seeing the light of gospel because he doesn't want them to experience the life-changing effect of the gospel. So he will do everything he can to deter you from seeing it. And, and, and it abounds. He's the prince of the power of the air, the scripture tells us, and the, uh, the power of the world lies under the sway of the evil one. So you better believe you're gonna see it in the movies and the shows and the uh, the news and the conversations and what's mighty and exalted and, and intelligent in this world. From the highest, the things that the world looks at as wonderful and good and beauty and great, all of that coming from that is going to be the work of the enemy to try to blind your mind to the heart and the light of the gospel. Let me ask you this. We talk about true resolution. We're not talking about just sticking to losing weight or eating better, which by the way, this applies. And even in the small things, God cares about those things. Whatsoever you do, do the glory of him. If you started doing your small resolutions for the glory of God, you might actually find even more strength and resolution in them. Side point, let's come back. Would you be able to be deterred from Jesus? I would imagine as brothers and sisters, our, our, our answer is hopefully not. But I don't think it's as, it, it's as hard to make ourselves look cringy to other people by crying out to Jesus when we're in a state of blind begging every single day that's why it's so important for us to be aware of the condition we're in. Because when we're aware of it, we live it in every day. We see it. We feel it. We taste it. It's, it. You could care less about what other people think of you when you have the opportunity and you hear of Jesus to pursue him and to get his attention. These men were undeterred in their pursuit for the solution. And the solution was Jesus Christ, specifically mercy from Jesus Christ, receiving mercy from him. Lord, have mercy on us. And again, Jesus showed up on the scene and he did very specific things. Do you think that Jesus didn't hear them the first time? I mean, that sounds kind of rhetorical. but We're not told that he heard them the first time, but this is also Jesus who was asleep in the boat, and for some reason he didn't wake up till after he allowed the disciples to say, don't you care that we're perishing? I have the, uh, the kids book that we read, The Storm That Stopped, I read to my kids, and in the picture, in the boat, Jesus is sitting there sleeping, but he's got one eye open, seeing what they're doing. And my daughter, my littlest, always points out, look, he's not asleep, he's just trying to see what they, what they will do. I'm like, yeah! have mercy on us, son of David. He could have responded there. He didn't. He lets it play out, right? Because he's wanting us who read to learn something. Undeterred pursuit of the solution. Jesus was what they needed. Jesus is what we need. We cannot cure our spiritual blindness on our own. Only Jesus can. Which brings us to a theme in Scripture we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jeremiah twenty-nine, when he was talking to those who were his his people that were going into uh, captivity, the prophecy from the Lord through Jeremiah said, "In that day you will seek for me, and you will find me. When what? Who knows the rest of it? When you seek for me with all your heart." But Jesus was the one who said, "The one who knocks, it will be opened." The the one who seeks will find. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now here, if you're like me, here's what the, the enemy hates these types of verses. So he tries, to, he tries to replace the voice and the tone of God with his. Hey, you better love me and you better seek me. Is kind of how we think of that. If you don't seek me good enough, you're not going to find me. That's not that's not what God is saying. It's more of this. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if you seek for me, you'll find me. I will never cast you out. There's never a situation where you want me and are looking for me and I'll hide from you or I won't open the door. In the situation where these blind men, you cry out to me even though everyone else is going to try to stop you. I'm going to stop and I'm going to give attention to the few over, above and beyond the thousands. This is the voice and the kindness of our Lord, the compassion of our Lord. You will seek and you will find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. Isn't that resolution, right? That's the reason our resolutions, our small ones, never go through because we're not resolved. There's not a, there's not a whole heart pursuit of the things that we've made a decision in. But if there's 50 billion decisions that we fall out on, let it not be the decision to give our hearts to the Lord fully. This is what he's owed. This is what he deserves. And this is what's best for us. Where true resolution involves an undeterred pursuit of the solution, but it also involves this, an encounter with real change. Verse 32. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? You see this? Could you imagine this? Right? The crowds are learning something. Hey, we're going to do Jesus a favor and we're going to stop these blind beggars that bug us all the time. We're going to do them a favor. What does Jesus do? He allows them to cry out. He stops, he turns, and he gives attention to the least of these. You know the story about when Jesus is going to heal Jairus' daughter who's on her deathbed. Like, So this is urgent. we got to go heal but then the woman with the bleeding issue touches the hem of his garment and he stops to tend to her. And in the process, Jairus' daughter dies. And the servant says, Well, you took too long. No need to come. We don't need to bother you anymore. Remember this? What do we learn from that story? It doesn't matter human timing, it doesn't even matter if, if the situation has become impossible. Jesus can tend to every single one of us, He's not too busy. And what he does, he goes and he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Our Savior can do the impossible. And when it comes to these blind men, they had an encounter with Jesus, which means they had an encounter with the only thing that could change their impossible situation. Jesus stops. He calls them. What do you want me to do for you? Could you imagine what was going? One, I bet they didn't even expect to get his attention let alone to hear him stop and then call for you and then ask you, what, what would you have me to do for you? Stop, I just wanna make a little little interesting point about the context of scripture. Do you know what story just happened right before this in Matthew's account? If you look right up before, wherever your page is, you'll see what happened right before this account was uh, the sons of Zebedee, their mom, asking for their sons to be able to sit at the right and the left hand of God. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. In order to sit there, you, that is up to God and you, you, you have to be able to drink the cup that I drink. And he says, you will, basically persecution and death on account of his name. And then he teaches them that whoever would be the greatest in the kingdom would be what? Least and a servant to all. And so boom, instantly you get a story, Matthew recording of how he stopped and he tended to the two people that everyone avoids. What do you want me to do for you? Now, hey, get on your knees. Don't you know who you are before? Philippians tells us that Jesus humbled himself to the point of a servant. Now, listen, that's Jesus for you. That's what Jesus does for you. Do you think Jesus is in any way deterred by loving you because of your brokenness that you're aware of every single day? Do you think when the enemy's accusing you, trying to remind you of how much you're missing it, how horrible you are, how broken you are, how blind you are, how much you miss it, that that, that's the voice of God? The, The voice of God, the voice of Jesus is this, in verse 34, and Jesus in pity touched them. Every single day when you wake up and the mercy of the Lord is new and it's on you, it's because he loves you and he gave up his only son for you, and he pities you, and he loves you, and he cares, and he knows your brokenness. And, and the more you are aware of it doesn't mean that somehow he's, he's more like frustrated with you. He loves you. He's there for you. He's the God who's interceding for you. He's your advocate. He's always there. His, his grace is greater than your sin. And every single day of your life is this resolution to have him and to get to him because he will never cast you out. He will never be tired of you. He will never be sick of you. He will always love you coming to him in brokenness and weakness. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always pity you and love you and take care of you. This is our God. Look what he's doing for these blind men despite what everyone around him is trying to say. What do you want me to do for you? They said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight. A miracle, an absolute miracle happening before the crowds of people People who they knew were blind, eyes being opened. Surely this is the Messiah. Actually, it was when John the Baptist heard that the sight, the blind received their sight. John got excited because he knew that was one of the things that the Messiah would do to prove he was who he was. Do the impossible. Now, let me say this as well. Remember, this is not just a story about the physical miracle, and it stops there. Remember the man that was lowered down with the broken legs, who was paralytic. And as he's being lowered, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What? What? And the people are like, who is this? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, what's easier to say? Rise up and walk or your sins are forgiven. But so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm healing people. I'm doing the physical thing that's impossible in front of your eyes so you'll never doubt that I'm able to do the spiritually impossible thing for your soul. These men are blind, they receive their sight which brings us after this encounter of real change to the final thing that true resolution involves. A new life following a better way. A new life following the better way. It says this, Immediately they recovered their sight, and these two simple words that say so much, they followed him. If you read this account and study it, you'll find out that the word is just used in the parallels of all of this. It's not the idea that they were made well physically, it's that Jesus saved them. uses the word sozo as the word for salvation. Jesus in their physical display of faith in who he was. Yes, they received the physical miracle, but they received the greatest physical miracle the greatest spiritual gift of all, and that was being cured of their spiritual blindness. Their sinful condition had been made well. They had been saved. Far greater than any physical thing that could happen on this earth. And it says this, they followed him. I don't believe this means that they just just, let's let's go no, no, they followed him which means they became a disciple of Jesus and now their life was devoted to him because they believed he was the Messiah and because, I believe it's Mark, could be wrong, is the one who names this blind man Bartimaeus. Almost as if Mark is saying as he's writing his gospel account, hey, this blind man is the, the fellow brother you know, Bartimaeus. They knew him by name. A new life following a better way. So here's the small example like, hey, you're gonna wanna lose weight, you, you encounter real change through dieting and exercise, not through cheap solutions, and then you 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 have now knowledge that, hey man, if I'm gonna stay in this this new life, I've got to continue to follow this way. Right? But it's not like begrudging thing to do to have to follow Jesus the rest of our life. Like, do you think it was hard for them to devote their life to Jesus after what he had done for them? Like it was some type of now I gotta do this. No. I don't want to follow any other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way that seems right to me, but I'm done with that way. I'm done with the pleasures and the cares of the world. He's given me new life. He saved me and he's forgiven me and now I'm going to follow him all of my days. True resolution is a lot different than the simplistic, determined decisions that we make that become superficial It's because we have a great, merciful, compassionate high priest who is available for every single one of us. So let me bring it ultimately home for us. I don't know where you're at. I don't always want to assume that every single one of us are are good with God, that we're no longer stuck in darkness. There could be someone here who's, who's... You've been blind, spiritually blind, your whole life, and you've always just been associated with Jesus, like the crowds of people that followed him. But when he spoke deeper things, they left him, proving they weren't really true disciples. That maybe, maybe God's convicting you of that. Look, see the pity and the mercy and the care that God has for you, and you come to Him. It's not a work. It's not something you have to do, but there's this, there's this pursuit of your heart that God's asking, like, love me, see me, pursue me. You will find me. I will not run from you. I will not hide from you. I'm here. Uh, maybe you're in a situation where you've kind of forgotten what God has done for you. Uh, life has pressed in on you a little too much lately, and you're consumed with the pain of life. Can you see the, the purpose that God has in your pain? And you can see we're even here in a small way that even though you know this lesson, God's letting you learn this lesson over and over again, not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you and wants to constantly let you be disenfranchised and discontent with this world. And always remember, yeah, it's him. He's at the center of everything. He's what I need. I'm coming back to you, God. And God's reminding you maybe that sin that's in your life that easily is besetting you, that thing that's bringing a lot of guilt and shame in your life, Maybe I want you to take the example of these blind men and see that, see that thing as something that's worth leaving and repenting of and coming back to me. Wherever you are, I hope that you're encouraged by the all-attending, ever-compassionate, loving Savior who you can have an encounter with as well. Not just one time in your past, but every single day, He loves you He's here for you and he tends to you. So let's end with this verse then. I think that's proper, that's on the screen. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God given these examples so that when you read it, you either say this, yeah, I get that, or you say, I've never felt that way about God. If you've never felt that way about God, he's not holding it from you. You in gentleness bow your head and you ask him, make me love you like that. Even your desire for him, he will supply to you. Our God is great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your attention to us God, the the flaming, fiery darts of the devil are flying at us every day. He hates for us to revel in you, to find our hope and our peace and our rest in you. Remove his tone and his voice and let us hear your voice through your word and through Jesus and remember that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. That those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. And you would remind us again of this beautiful truth that I once was blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name, amen.